Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4180 of the Bugle, the last Bugle of the Trump presidency. I've missed out a word there. The last Bugle of the first Trump presidency. Only joking, of course, by the time some of you listen to this, uh, all 50 states will have admitted they were in on the steel, and our great leader will be announced as Emperor of all the Americas, Guardian of Universal Justice, bracket solar system, and Sultan-elect of Swing. Uh, maybe not. Uh, I'm Andy Zaltzman, or am I? Yes, I am. Can we retract that, 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 that last one? Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm here in London, just uh, 25,000 or so miles away from London. If you leave my house, turn left and travel around the world in a straight line until you get back. Significantly less than half the distance away from me than I am from myself then, from Sydney, Australia, please welcome Alice Fraser. Hello, Andy. Uh, now I don't know where I am. I <laughs> well, well, surely that's good, Alice, in this time of lockdown. Anything that makes you not know exactly where you are and where you have been for the last... X months. You should be welcoming, shouldn't you? Yes. Well, Andy, I can be wherever I want to be now because I've bought a Shiwi. Uh, oh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was on a road trip recently. I went to a service station and they did not have a toilet, thus breaking the essential right. social contract that there should be a toilet at a service station. You buy a bar of chocolate and you're allowed to do a wee. And in my outrage, I ordered a Shiwi on Amazon. I have not used it yet, but I feel so free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but every time you use it, you will be urinating into Jeff Bezos's pockets. So, um, and, you know, it's not up to me whether that you know that gives you satisfaction or not. That's that's entirely each of their own. Uh, also joining us from the parallel universe that is the United States of America in New York City, to be precise, to give us the final verdict on the four-year experiments with putting a wind-up toy idiot in the White House and seeing what happens, it's Josh Gondelman. Hello. Uh, thank you for having me. The thing about science is it's not about getting good results. It's just about what the results are. So uh, <laughs> when you put it that way, the Trump presidency sure had results. Uh, absolutely. We're all very much uh, the wiser for it, apart from mm -hmm. those who choose to be considerably less wise for it. Um <laughs> Uh, so, well, I mean, it's just, uh, as we record, a couple of days, we'll, we'll touch on this in greater detail later, a couple of days until the inauguration, or I think, I'm not sure it's right to call it an, Joe Biden's inauguration. It is very much Donald Trump's de-auguration. Um, <laughs> it's kind of an out-inauguration. <laughs> yeah. An un uh, you, you know, I've heard some people saying they're looking forward to it like they look forward to Christmas, but it's more looking forward to Christmas if your Christmas present was to have a 10 cubic metre pile of shit removed from outside your house. <laughs> Which I think if you had a 10 cubic metre pile of shit outside your house, that would be a terrific Christmas present. <laughs> so let's not overlook that. <laughs> Um, I'm. I feel excited about it as as a Jewish person. How right. I feel excited about Christmas. It's just nice to see other people excited. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I just feel kind of a uh, um, like I'm gonna order some Chinese food and hope people don't pay too much attention to me. You know, Josh, if if you like to see other people excited, there are swingers nights for that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I live in Brooklyn. We're going to get people that same level of excited over the Biden inauguration. <laughs> 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 
I'm reporting to you live this week from the BBC's Test Match Special Cricket Commentary Box. Uh, well, uh, I mean, to be precise, fr- from my shed. Um, now, I've had an odd week uh, in that I've been getting up at 3.30 every morning uh, to be part of the BBC's cricket coverage. Um, now, as a child, I used to lie in bed at night in the winter listening to cricket commentary from overseas, and I would dream of being part of the Test Match Special coverage of, a, of an overseas test match one day what I did not imagine was that it would, it would involve watching a test match wearing a bobble hat to keep warm because it was three degrees and pissing with rain in the pitch blackness of the night at 3.45am on a bitter winter morning while sitting alone in a shed Yet the latest bastard love child of Mr Covid and Mrs Internet was a cricket commentary team in five different places in England and my journey to work at the test match in the magical city of Gaul, Sri Lanka, where the cricket ground sits beneath an old historic fort by the sea and the temperature hovers around the 30 degree mark, involved switching on the outside lights, putting on my slippers and walking 10 yards across my garden to an emergency commentary box in my shed. And, I mean, it was, it, it was great fun as things that involve getting up at 3.30 in the morning go. It was a huge amount of fun. And what I discovered, and this is a key piece of scientific research, to, to add to the scientific research we've already had this episode, um, and uh, I say this as someone who skillfully constructed an entire um, well portfolio of overlapping uh, pseudo-careers solely for the purpose of never having to get up early in the morning, is that getting up at 3.30 in the morning is a fuck of a lot easier when cricket is involved. And you should all try it. Apologies to any coffee traders whose business plans I'm hereby destroying, but cricket is the one true caffeine. Amen. Uh, we are recording on the 18th of January, or T minus two, or T T T T T T T minus two, uh, standing for Toodaloo to Trump the tantrum throwing tosspot. It's 18th of January, which of course is Blue Monday this year, which has been scientifically proved at the third Monday in January to be the most miserable day of the year, unless you are a massive pessimist, in which case it's a lovely day that proves that everything you believe is entirely correct. Uh, also, the 18th of January is World Thesaurus Day, also known as Global Lexicon's seventh of a week. Um, <laughs> Wednesday, as well as being Inauguration Day, is International Day of Acceptance. And I'm not sure absolutely everyone in the USA is going to be observing that. Um, and it's also uh, International Penguin Awareness Day. So do try to spend at least some of the inauguration at Buglers thinking to yourself, if America had been led by a penguin for the last four years, A, how different would things be now? And B, yes, we would be looking at a re-inauguration for President Beaky Flipperwing. And also try to think on Wednesday about all the times that penguins have saved humanity by distracting aliens who landed in Antarctica and thought, what the f- is this place? Do we really want to waste our time with a planet where the birds have let themselves go to the extent that they can't f***ing fly anymore? So thank you to all the penguins involved. Um, as always, uh, before we start, uh, a section of the bugle is going straight in the bin this week. It's the start of our new What is Humanity's Greatest Invention knockout competition. Here at the Beagle, we've chosen 19,683 things invented by humans, and we will go through them three a week to find the single best invention of all time. Will sliced bread retain its title? Bearing in mind it won the title before the invention of the internal combustion engine, the internet, the Macarena, and all items of Bugle merchandise, so it might not be quite so easy this time for the long-time champion. And to kick us off, uh, the first of our first-round matches, it's the Shoelace versus Marmalade versus the harmonica. And what a clash this promises to be, uh, the shoelace's superb contribution to the practicality of footwear, uh, which has uh, helped our species overcome our lack of uh, pedal grip, talons, hooves, claws, and other accoutrements beloved of so many other species. Uh, will the, uh, the shoelace see off the challenge of, uh, well, marmalade, one of breakfast's most enduringly popular spreads and methods of preserving citrus? 
And can they both see off the brilliant little portable musical instrument, the harmonica, that has lived quite literally a hand-to-mouth existence throughout its time as a key contributor to blues, folk and other musical genres, and which has decisively outlasted other pocket-sized instruments such as the micro trombone, the nano timpani and the mini cello, um, which I believe is still used by some athletics coaches. Uh, any predictions for that one? What would, you, what would you go for, shoelace, marmalade or harmonica? Well, what's the best of those three? I'm going to take a strong stand for shoelace. Right. I feel, I feel like it's the the one thing that is the least replaceable of those three, right? You've got a marmalade. You can switch it out for a jam, a jelly, a preserve. you got a harmonica. Look, just play the guitar louder. But when you need a shoelace, nothing else but a shoelace will do. I should disclose, uh, according to the FCC, I must say, I am sponsored by shoelaces. <laughs> just personally. Alice, have you got have you got have you got a have you got a, a favor for that one? I'm gonna go with the harmonica as the one of those three that you can truly enjoy in prison. <laughs> <laughs> they take the shoelaces away, they leave the harmonica. <laughs> Uh, so that's the first round. Let me quickly explain how this competition is going to work. Um, uh, obviously, with uh, 19,683 um, inventions, uh, there's going to be 6,561 first-round clashes. The winner of each goes through to the second round, whilst the runners-up go into a repechage against two other runners-up, and the winner of each of those 2,187 contests joins the first-round winners in a group stage in which four inventions meet in a round robin with 2,187 groups. Uh, then the 918 lowest-ranked qualifiers uh, play off against each other, leaving 1,728 inventions who then proceed to a direct knockout. After five rounds of this, only the 54 best inventions of all time will be left, which will then be split into nine categorised conferences of six inventions each. The winners of each of these nine conferences then proceed into four groups of three to be made up with the wild-card playoff winners from three three-invention contests involving the conference runners-up. Uh, the inventions in the four groups of three then play against each other. I know it's not ideal. The winners of these groups then go into a final four-invention round robin from which the top-placed team goes straight into the final against the winner of a playoff of the second and third-placed inventions. And da-da! We have a winner. Uh, anyway, um, uh, that, that section is in the bin. Top story this week, inauguration time. It's happening. It is finally happening after all the non-existent doubt about the result. All the absolutely pointless court cases that could have changed things so dramatically were it not for the fact that they were the groundless thrashings of a petulant lunatic. After all the fears that the Mexicans and Canadians would invade at this moment of American weakness and install Wayne Gretzky and Salma Hayek in an interim Dream Team dual regency, it is happening. The inauguration of Joe Biden as the 46th and absolutely definitively not the most appalling president yet of the USA is happening on Wednesday. Uh, Josh, as our... Um, uh, inauguration of new president's correspondent um uh, what are you most looking forward to uh, in this one i feel kind of i'm looking forward to it in the same way i felt when i uh when i saw that george clooney took was going to take over playing batman from val kilmer just a deep <laughs> abiding relief that the other guy was done that's <laughs> that's what i'm looking forward to take that here. kilmer <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's had a too good for too long <laughs> Look, I'm a little nervous about the inauguration overall, considering what happened two weeks ago, right, when the Capitol was stormed by people who liked the president they had at the time. <laughs> That's a very rare kind of uh, kind of occupation. They were like children clinging to Trump's leg, saying, Daddy, Daddy, please don't leave. And he essentially responded, F*** off, I don't even like my actual kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's. I 
we've all had jobs, haven't we, Josh, where we've had to <laughs> serve out a notice period and thought, ah, what the heck, let's have a bit of fun. But, I mean, for most of us, that involves making paperclip effigies of Jane Austen and trying to make a colleague ask it out for dinner, not bringing the entirety of our democracy to the brink of collapse. I mean, it's been... He has, he has had a fun time since he got sacked. Oh, yeah. He's he's really been uh, been mailing it in, uh, which is ironic because that's what he doesn't think he should be able to do to balance. <laughs> I mean, what, what are you expecting? Because, uh, I mean, it's going to be an unusual inauguration. I mean, Trump is is not hanging around to watch himself being ceremonially fired. Um, uh, and the last, you know, the last time a president did not attend the inauguration of his successor was 1963. Uh, and that was John F. Kennedy. And he had a very, very good reason for giving <laughs> Lyndon's special moment a bit of a miss. Certainly much better than Trump's. <laughs> uh, instead... Trump is going to FRO on Air Force One to Florida, uh, and the presidential plane has been specially tantrum-proofed for uh, for the occasion. Um, I mean, it's quite, it's quite odd, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's always one of the fascinations of an inauguration is seeing the departing president desperately trying not to give away too much with their face about how disgusted they are by who's taking over from them. It's like if you had to go to your most recent ex's wedding, no matter how badly you broke up or who they're marrying. <laughs> I mean, I think it's very appropriate that Trump is going to uh, Florida to become the Florida man we all knew he was in his heart at all times. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I just think, fine, let him go early, whatever. Just make sure you turn his pockets out for silverware before he's out the door. He takes, like, Trump <laughs> takes the phrase sore loser and then jacks it open to fill in the full derangement of a spoiled tennis brat smashing a racket with a cartoon hammer after fumbling a match point. Except in this instance, the match point is a half-cocked catapult full of coup soup. <laughs> Impeachment 2, the inevitable sequel, was launched um uh, over the last week or so. And, um, well, as Oscar Wilde himself says, to be impeached once may be regarded as a misfortune. To be impeached twice looks like you are a certifiable <laughs> And th- there's an interesting uh, stat on this, and I've spent the entire week doing uh, cricket stats, but here's, here's a, uh, a politics stat. Donald Trump has now had the uh, same number of impeachments as the number of middle fingers that the Statue of Liberty would hold in his direction if she <laughs> ever finally comes to life as originally planned. So... There's a little stat for all you numbers fans. Um, Joe Biden's uh, in tray, and I um, mean, obviously, it's you know, it's a. There's, he's got a lot to do, Josh, isn't he? I mean, rejoining mm-hmm. treaties, writing some strongly worded letters of apology, using an archbishop mm-hmm. as a mop to clen- cleanse the White House <laughs> spiritually, and retraining staff to speak in complete sentences, as well as finding the TV remote control in the White House so that more than one news channel is available. What, what did, it, people obsess about this? A hundred days, the first hundred days. Of a, of a president. So what are the achievable goals, do you think, that Joe Biden might be looking at? I mean, we're, there's going to be... He's going to have two days of solid afterglow, the honeymoon period. A quick... A mini-moon, as they say. <laughs> uh, and then people are going to get mad because it's like, you're not supposed to travel right now, Joe Biden. <laughs> so they're, they're going to get very upset. I do think... I. I th- I'm nervous about the start we're getting off to, right? The band, the New Radicals, is reuniting to play at Joe Biden's inauguration. And when people said to push Biden left and embrace more radical ideas, I don't think they meant he should learn the fast singing part to the song You Get What You Give from 1998. <laughs> so I am a little worried. I do think there's a lot of good he can do, like um, rejoining the, the Paris Accord, um, 
uh, Febrezing the White House bathrooms. <laughs> There's just <laughs> achievable goals that that one man can do that aren't controversial. <laughs> uh, Alice, what are you what are you uh, what are you looking forward to? And uh, the, the initial uh, the first works of Joe Biden as president. Ideally, uh, from my perspective, the first works of Joe Biden's presidency will be incredibly boring, and I won't have to write jokes about them. That's my goal. <laughs> Is that it'll yeah. just be bureaucratic, administrative, basic stuff that governments are supposed to do. Governments are not supposed to be interesting. Andy, their job is to do the boring shit that no one else wants to do. That's why we elect them, <laughs> uh, you know, to figure out, you know, fencing bylaws. That's the goal of politics. And if a politics can get back to that stage where I can make jokes about, I don't know, celebrities or whatever, I will be very happy. And well, interesting on, on Trump's departure from the White House, uh, as he leaves for the final time, um, there will be a little ceremony, even if he's not going to be part of the inauguration. Uh, he will um, chuck Teddy Roosevelt's favourite stuffed baby moose and Dwight Eisenhower's original 1959 Barbie doll out of Thomas Jefferson's presidential 1806 horse-drawn reclining snooze carriage in a ceremonial throwing of the toys out of the pram. Uh, be a beautiful way for him uh, to leave. And apparently he's planning up around about 100 pardons, uh, presidential pardons, which I'm a topic we keep coming back to on the bugle. It is one of the more inexplicable facets of of the American political system. Um, And there's rumours that they've been hawked around for money, which... um, (laughs) Which, if that were not true, that would be the most surprising thing of the Trump president. If he had not been trying to profit from presidential pardons, then you'd start to think the whole thing was some kind of uh, hoax. A gross oversight. You'd think his staff has been asleep at the wheel. They're leaving (laughs) money on the table. He already pardoned Rod Blagojevich, the governor who basically who is accepting money for a gubernatorial, uh, or excuse me, a senatorial appointment. So it's... You can tell he's, like, priming the pump to just take money for pardons. And honestly, uh, this seems like the this seems like why he was president, right? Just He's like, I, at the end, I'm going to make millions of dollars by letting criminals be criminals. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, kids, crime does pay. Rich criminals. You pay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, th- there was one uh, story that um, m- might even be the Trumpiest story to have come out of Trump's America uh, over the past week, and that is uh, the story of a of a manatee in Florida, uh, which was graffitied with the word Trump. It was etched into the uh, the algae on its back. The word the word Trump. Uh, Rudolph Giuliani, the former human, uh, claimed a vote carved into the flesh of an of a water based mammal is equivalent to 8 million normal human votes, uh, and it is the closest that they've yet come to some evidence of electoral wrongdoing, a manatee with the word Trump written on it. And it just seems so emblematic of the terrible suffering of America these last four years. Oh, the huge manatee. (laughs) Well, Trump is demanding that the manatee be counted as a valid ballot, and if that works, he's asked for 7 million monogrammed manatees to be delivered to the White House by Amazon Courier. (laughs) By the way, uh, 7 Million Monogrammed Manatees was the follow-up fail to the best-selling hit single 990 Luftballons. <laughs> oh, I remember it well. That was, oh, you're going back to my... That, 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 Alice, I think that is the first musical reference <laughs> that one of my Bugle co-hosts has used that I've actually understood. <laughs> well, given the amount of Trump's outstanding debt and how rare manatees are becoming, this might be the most valuable thing with the Trump name on it. <laughs> We can't discount that. 
To be honest, something has uh, felt a bit fishy about this election ever since the uh, Super Tuesday porpoises last year. <laughs> Boom. Um, well, I think that might be my last Trump joke of the Trump administration, and I feel that is, you know, an infantile, unnecessary pun. Might be the best way to go. <laughs> Britain news now, and, uh, well, another exciting week in Britain. Boris Johnson's been criticised for uh, taking a, a bike ride to the Olympic Park seven miles away from his home in Downing Street. People saying this is uh, not the kind of uh, lockdown example that should be uh, that the Prime Minister should be setting. And it's and also, you know, Boris Johnson has been known sometimes to throw his darts of hypocrisy into the treble 20 of political expedience. You can't blame him. He's just taking a leaf out of Dominic Cummings's book, which is the only way he ever finishes his homework. Uh, he was just going on the ride to test his thighs <laughs> look when you look at boris johnson you know this guy doesn't miss a day of rigorous exercise <laughs> <laughs> so you can't you can't think he's gonna stop uh bike riding any more than you think he's gonna take a day off of chest presses or leg extensions this dude is a brick house he doesn't take days <laughs> off <laughs> Um, in uh, other Britain news, some very exciting uh, news. This is, uh, so I guess, you know, related to uh, the glorious new British age of, uh, of Brexit that we're all enjoying so much uh, over here. Uh, news has broken that Britain is leading the world in the use of language learning apps on our mobile phones. I mean, this is this is huge because we have a reputation for not bothering to learn other languages, but this shows you know, the number of reasons why we are learning more languages than uh, than other other countries, uh, well, we're broadening our horizons as we're fitting a global nation. Uh, we are possibly plotting our escape. Uh, we might be plotting our empire. Uh, it might be just because there is nothing else to do in this godforsaken f***ing world at the moment. Or it might be uh, E, because of new scientific research revealing the ineffectiveness of just saying things louder and more slowly <laughs> in English. Um, we have suspected uh, this science for a while, but until it's proven, people are not prepared to believe it. It's like climate change, but more so. And uh, still some denying it. Um... The EU has declared that yellow mealworms are safe for humans <laughs> to eat. And we're going to miss out on this. And that, that stings. These high-protein maggot-like insects uh, are now approved for consumption across Europe. But we Brits, we, 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 can't, we, we can't enjoy this, this delicious, delicious worm. Uh, I mean, if we'd been told this before, I don't think we'd have voted for Brexit. I, mean, I want to be part of the EU to find out what they're going to do with with mealworm. I want to know what the Italians are going to make. I want to know if this, you know, this Spain can make the hacked off leg of a dead piggy into something soul meltingly delicious. I want to know what they're going to do with mealworms. And imagine how tasty French mealworms will be once they've been force fed for their entire <laughs> lives and or kept in lightless, windowless rooms to tenderise them with delicious despair. Well, we're missing all this because of the internal party politics of a sclerotic Conservative Party after a procedurally questionable referendum and we're being denied the right, nay the duty, to eat maggoty squibble grubs. I am disgusted. When will the heartbreak end, Brexit? When will it end? I'm slightly worried that the EU is, put, is putting the EU back into EU. Uh, with this news about the uh, approval of mealworms as safe to eating, just because you can doesn't mean you should, and just because you probably should doesn't mean you will. It might be good for the environment, but I, for one, will only eat yellow mealworms if they're presented in a way that I understand, which is to say, hidden in gelatinous nutrition blocks by a sinister committee in a creepy post-apocalyptic utopia that turns out to have dark secrets it'll kill to keep hidden. Just because you can 
doesn't mean you should. It should have been the campaign slogan of the Remain campaign. And I think the result could have been very, very different. Um, look, we can eat yellow mealworms across Europe now, which I think we're overlooking that this is great news for fish. Maybe this is why the fish are happy. <laughs> People leaving us alone eating mealworms. We were so desperate for a win in 2021 that we're like, okay, look, the bad news there's a pandemic, international turmoil, the global rise of the far right. But good news, everyone. Legally, we can eat bugs now. <laughs> They've been approved. <laughs> Where was this news when I was five years old? I was ready to eat bugs. <laughs> this came too late. Uh, you know, people uh, people eat, eat similar similar creatures all over the world. I think that makes sense. They're dense in protein and low in carbon to produce. And I have to say... Uh, Maybe they are the future of nutrition, but the future looks different than I thought it would. I was focused on flying cars and time travel, but what we're getting is uh, mealworm cupcakes for your birthday. And I don't remember that episode of The Jetsons. Are they kosher, Josh? That's I a feel great one question. or other I should find out. <laughs> Sex news now, and this is a British-based podcast, so I'm going to pass this section over to someone from another country, uh, Alice. <laughs> yes, Andy, in uh, sex hacking, non-consensual, not having of sex, but in a sexy way news, a hacker took control of people's internet-connected chastity cages and asked for a ransom, a Bitcoin ransom, in order to release people's uh, junk from these uh, auto-locked cages. Did you say internet-connected... <laughs> yes, indeed, Andy. Uh, I feel like this might need a little bit of explanation uh, in that... Yeah, I feel it does need quite a lot of explanation, actually. I mean, particularly if you are waking up from a, uh, well, I don't know, either a 30-year uh, <laughs> coma or a 700-year coma, then the internet-connected chastity cage needs a f*** of a lot of explanation. So please explain I it. took a 40-minute nap yesterday, and I feel a little bit behind. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Andy, uh, for some people, uh, not having sex is the sexiest thing of all. And uh, <laughs> even sexier than that is not being allowed to have sex by someone they know. Uh, but in this case, they were not being allowed to have sex by someone they didn't know, which is not sexy, but in a not not sexy way. Um, <laughs> this is sort of an Escher sketch of obscure but specific kinks, a metaparaphilia of polynonamory. Just lock this story up and throw away the key, Andy, but not in a sexy way, please, and also not in an unsexy way that someone else finds sexy in its unsexiness. This is worse than the time that I found out hay fever is flowers f***ing in your nose. I am so upset by this story. <laughs> I mean, it's... It, it's it, I, I mean, it, we are an odd species. I think, you know, the, the, the news of the last four to 10,000 years proves that, but, I mean, this is... The, the internet-connected ch chastity cage... I don't think I can... It means that someone doesn't even have to be there not to f*** you, Andy. Right, OK. I've, I mean, I've had that up... deal quite a few times. <laughs> yeah, I'm just opening up whole new worlds of, 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 of look, not, not ha having naughtinesses with people. I think, look, big tech has gone too far. Call me old-fashioned, but if you want to lock my penis in a cage, do it by hand, OK? <laughs> just too far! <laughs> This is just, where has the common touch gone? Where's the craftsmanship? <laughs> I just feel like, 
look, we don't need all these smart devices. Whatever happened to a humble uh, wicker penis cage? (laughs) 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 Or a metal chastity cage done by just some hand soldering? This is just, when I see this news, I just think how far we've strayed from, from... uh, our humble roots as people, and, and I don't mean <laughs> no chastity penis cages. Again, I just mean uh, maybe one that you've whittled yourself on the porch, like Nana did. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Tim Berners Lee is turning out to be arguably the greatest sexual uh, in the history of the human race, and well, that is a hotly contested title. But I mean, he's—if this is what he planned all along. Then he's got a lot of questions to answer. To be fair, Andy, it was a longer journey than I thought it would be from the Internet of Things to the Internet of Dongs, but it has got there. <laughs> <laughs> but there's only really one moment in my life when I'd, I mean, I, I, other than, you know, when I play cricket <laughs> and I do in, in cage. But, but there's only one other time, other than, than the protective arena of sport, where I've really, really wanted uh, a, a cage around my um, uh, gonadulums, and that was uh, when I was eight days old and someone was coming at me with a knife. Look, I, again, this, not to, not to uh, harsh anybody's joy or yuck anybody's yum, but I will say, for years of my life, um, I had a lot of success not having sex with a free-range penis. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to factory farm cage it. And what an appropriate phrase uh, to use in this uh, final episode of uh, the Trump years, the free-range penis. Mm -hmm. Sexy hippos news now. Um, Alice, um, obviously the the hippo is renowned as one of nature's sexiest beasts, um, and um, they've been uh, busy in Colombia. Yes, Andy, this uh, also requires a little bit of historical knowledge. If you didn't know, uh, you are uh, not up on your hippo history, but in the 1980s, famous uh, drug lord Pablo Escobar smuggled four hippos into his private country estate because that's what a lot of coke will do to you. Why not? Uh, but uh, he, it was three males and one female, and they got it on. No, no cock cages for the hippos. And uh, they are now roaming wild and and in large numbers in the wetlands north of Bogota. Uh, Apparently, a study is forecasting that these hippos will swell without the sort of natural predators of their native homeland. They're going to become about 1,500 hippos by 2040. This is cane toads in Queensland all over again, but unlike cane toads, you can't run them over in your car. Apparently, they are trying not to kill them. There was an outrage among the population when they were talking about putting them down. They put one down and there was a a terrible protest. So uh, they they are trying to castrate them. And apparently, Andy, I don't know if you uh, know this, but uh, castrating hippos is hard, quote, harder than you would think. (laughs) Oh, right. Okay. I I can't imagine that's true. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think probably I assume it's going to be logistically awkward. But I mean, why specifically that much harder than than, than you might? Think? Well, I mean, you, I, I imagine you can imagine it is hard to castrate a hippo that doesn't want to be castrated. But yeah. they also have uh, what, what scientists call spatially dynamic testes, uh, which is to say that that their balls can hide from you. Well, the scientists uh, have have tried to castrate these hippos. They found it impossible uh, to make the females infertile because, uh, quote. 
we didn't understand the female anatomy, which is a complaint that many scientists have made, uh, but I don't want to play into that stereotype because I think science is hot. Uh, <laughs> um, so, I mean, look, I, I'm not an expert on the logistical uh, pr- procedurals of um, I am now. You know, hippopotamic c- c- consexualizations, but, I mean, this, this must be... I mean, must be you know, tricky for the, the the hippos. I mean, one assumes that the male hippo may be, well, from an ego point of view, not necessarily a, <laughs> you know, an enthusiastic recipient of um, you know, oral stimulative <laughs> ingobular fellatorial <laughs> indulgios, if if it has these you know, re- retractable uh, bollocks, um, and and yeah, because yeah, whilst. The, the hippo plonkers may be, and let us put this as considerately and unjudgmentally um, as we as we possibly can, with, without embarrassing our river dwelling friends' masculine pride. That you know that their plonkers are, you know, elusive. <laughs> um, but said against that, their the hippo mouth is is fucking massive. I mean, this is this has got to cause some kind of psychosexual. <laughs> issue surely for the for, for, for the boy hippos well, one would think well they don't like being castrated uh the the, okay. the scientist the researcher <laughs> right, with you there, right with you there buddies. Um, right with you the there. scientist david i've never felt closer to hippos than i do now <laughs> so my my heart goes out to the scientist in charge of this mission who clearly knows nothing about hippos if you read the article, his name's David Echeverry Lopez, and he has been leading the sterilization effort since 2013. Uh, they didn't; they don't know how to find the lady bits. Uh, they've been trying to lure the men into pens, uh, but when the men feel enclosed, they smash the pens. They jump out and crush the walls of the pens and run out, out into the forest. Not only does he say we knew nothing about the female reproductive organs, he also said, I didn't know they could jump. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like someone's about to cut your balls off. You learn how to jump. And currently, his rate of sterilization. So full of wisdom. Currently, his rate of successful sterilization is one hippo a year. This man has no idea what he's doing. One a year. Yeah. This is the hippo's country now. I could castrate more men than that. <laughs> and probably well, more hippos. Your... <laughs> that, could, that could be your follow up follow up podcast to the last post, Alex. <laughs> Alice Fraser attempts to castrate men. Mm-hmm. Um, not not judging it. Not saying anyway. Uh, let's um, let's move on uh, from hippo castration news. <laughs> super yacht news now. And uh, Josh, uh, as the owner of uh, several super yachts, <laughs> more, more I believe than all other Bugle co-hosts combined, you are our super yacht correspondent. And um, well. It's been uh, COVID has has forced super yacht owners to to adapt just like it has uh, ordinary human beings. We're all in this together, super yacht owners, the other 99.999999% of people who have to continue living on land around other folks. Yeah, it's the same for all of us is what they like to say. Um, There's they've needed to adapt because, you don't. there's one thing that ruins a yacht party it's easily communicable diseases, right? Communicable diseases. <laughs> Just ask anyone who's hosted a yacht orgy. <laughs> uh, it's terrible. The, but, so they're coming up with systems of how to uh, test and isolate on super yachts. Uh, one system is by adding kind of an, uh, an auxiliary vehicle that people can that can be piloted up to the side of the super yacht and you can stay in there isolated while you wait for your test results. Um, 
this is all very interesting to me because for one thing, there's no one I want to have COVID more than the owners of super yachts. So I am of mixed feelings about this. But honestly, if you own a super yacht or you have to be close enough to someone else where you could get coronavirus from them, that's just a regular yacht. Sorry, loser. You're not super rich. You're just regular rich. Reckon with that. Um, the invention is so the support vessel, right? Where people can take their COVID tests. And, and uh, that's like what they're considering this new development in super yacht safety, which means rich people are so out of touch. They think they invented the idea of smaller boats. <laughs> that's <laughs> wild to me. They probably don't even know the word boat. They're like, what if we had a yacht, but like smaller? What could we call it? <laughs> Like a yachtette? A yatini? <laughs> what is the word for this? It's a hard time for for the super rich, I think, between their yacht troubles. And I read that millionaires have been forgetting their passwords and getting locked out of their Bitcoin accounts, which must be terrible news if their penises are currently locked in internet <laughs> access chastity cages. Uh, but not having access to your millions of dollars in fake money, it's like waking up and being unable to remember a beautiful dream you just had. <laughs> Honestly, I'm going to start saying, because no one can check on it, right? Like how much Bitcoin you're locked out of. I'm going to start saying that I forgot my password and locked myself out of my Bitcoin account full of millions of dollars. And it's a shame too, because I promised my Canadian supermodel girlfriend I was going to buy her a Tiffany bracelet for her birthday. <laughs> I'm a fan of this uh, small side yacht uh, because it was invented in <laughs> Sydney. Uh, it's a Sydney yacht firm uh, which has invented this uh, side boat, which they are calling a protective layer between the shore and the vessel, uh, having forgotten the word for ocean. Uh <laughs> <laughs> it's a moat made of boat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's you know, many got an emotional support catamaran i think things have gone a little bit too far i mean at what point in your life do you think oh i've just ordered a massive luxury boat purely in order to enable me to staff my much more massive luxury boat at a time when the soul of humanity is crumbling to jelly am i helping what's do i maybe i need another luxury boat to quarantine the staff working on the staff quarantining luxury boat and then another when will the pain end a series of smaller boats until they event just living in your house. <laughs> just a trail of tinier and tinier boats back to the shore. I think that's how the Russian Navy works. Boats all the way down. Um, well, that brings us uh, to the end of this uh, this final bugle of the Trump regime. And if you average out all the stories that we've discussed, you have a randy hippopotamus uh, with an internet-linked chastity belt uh, being airlifted out of the White House in an unnecessary catamaran. And I cannot think of any more appropriate way to end these last four years. Uh, well, that um, does bring us uh, to the end. Uh, enormous thanks to uh, to Josh and Alice. Uh, as always, any any other shows you'd like to uh, tell us about, Josh? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm doing a, a show to promote voting rights because in America, not everybody gets to do that. So I'm doing an online show, uh, information on my social media, at Josh Gondelman uh, on Twitter and Instagram. And as always, Make My Day, my comedy game show where there's only one guest, so the contestant always wins my podcast <laughs> Alice 
yes, I have a uh, special on Amazon, my Patreon. I do weekly salons uh, every week on Tuesdays in different time zones. Uh, I have merch on my website, these little necklaces that say no one's going to die, we're all going to die, uh, which are <laughs> less whimsically fun than when I first created them. <laughs> much <laughs> Uh, and other than that, uh, I think there may be a show coming up, but I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about it yet. Right. Well, let's leave that little trailer hanging <laughs> in the, in the uh, With um, a smaller trailer to uh, service you can... it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can uh, hear me and indeed download me uh, hosting uh, BBC Radio 4's The News Quiz uh, for the next few weeks. And we will play you out now with some lies about our premium-level voluntary subscribers. Uh, to join them or to make a one-off or recurring contribution uh, to The Bugle, go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the Donate button. Eva Lunder is sick of corruption being hidden away from view. Why not get it out in the open, asks Eva. Instead of these shady behind-the-scenes deals, let's have high street outlets where you can walk in with a suitcase full of cash and walk out with a seat in the House of Lords or other non-British equivalent and planning permission for a casino. We could all see who's doing what and we'd know where we stood. I mean, who are we trying to kid anyway? We all know it exists. This is like the underpants thing all over again. Michael Kopp and Carol Johnson, despite never having met, are united in their view about buildings that take way too long to build. On hearing that the smash-hit Sagrada Familia Cathedral in Barcelona is still not complete almost 100 years after the death of its celebrity architect Anthony Gaudi, Michael announces, Well, this is obviously what happens when you don't set a hard deadline for something. By coincidence, Carol was having exactly the same thought at exactly the same time. If people like Gaudi knew that work would stop on their buildings the moment they popped their clogs, she says, they'd probably get a bit of a shifty on, instead of waddling around obsessing about every single sodding gargoyle. It works with contestants on TV cookery shows, so I don't see why it can't work with cathedrals. Ingvi Bowie, and I hope I've pronounced that name even slightly correctly, pitched a sci-fi movie to numerous Hollywood studios featuring extraterrestrials who turn up on Earth with a chaotic spaceship full of miscellaneous equipment, random souvenirs, accessories and assorted odds and sods. Ingvi explains, It's provisionally entitled The Paraphernalians. I'm just sick of aliens always being organised and tidy. I reckon they're probably just as hapless as we are and with an even greater tendency to hoard. Eric Escobedo agrees that aliens might be disappointingly unimpressive, but is nonetheless excited by the prospect of human encounters with beings from other planets and or galaxies. Eric explains, I'm particularly interested to see what kind of sports aliens play. If they're like we see in the movies, they must have some absolutely sensational ones, probably violent, high-paced, skillful and tactically intricate, like a cross between rugby, cricket, American football, snooker, motorbike racing and ice hockey, but with more green slime and incredible commentary. Andrew Cheeseman is worried about the Yellowstone supervolcano erupting and causing major havoc for all humanity. I think we need to run a practice eruption, states Andrew, using maybe a load of spare rocks from building sites melted down into lava, a special funnel and a controlled nuclear explosion of some sort. We need to know what we're dealing with, and when we know that, then we can deal with it. Andrew admits that he has not entirely thought through the logic of his proposal, but adds, well, it would make a cracking TV documentary at the very least. And finally, Peter Dew could not argue with being banned from his local chess club following 124 consecutive defeats. 
It wasn't that I'm pointlessly bad at chess, explains Peter. Actually, I'm okay, but I deliberately lose just so when my opponent says checkmate, I can reply, actually, I'm Slovakian and I find that very offensive, before storming off shouting, I told you that after your last move and yet still you insist on denying my nationality. Peter adds, I'm not actually Slovakian and the real problem was that there were only four other people in my chess club. Here endeth this week's lies. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.